to 200 level episode 232, Mike Carpenter in the basement, for what we are titling, and forgive the pun, I'm a Belima. I am a believer uh, that Brett Belima is actually going to get Illinois football to a consistently solid place in the Big Ten West, and I haven't felt that as an Illini football fan in some time. Could not have said the same for Lovey Smith. Uh, that was all based on hope and dreams on that brand and that face and the recognizability in the state of Illinois. Of course, that didn't pan out. Tim Beckman, well, I think we all just hope that he was better than Ron Zook. Of course, he was not. Ron Zook, great recruiter, but of course, we found out that he was not exactly great with the X's and O's as much as he was with the Jimmys and Joes. Ron Turner, well, he had the Sugar Bowl, he had the MicronPC.com, but other than that, pretty bad football across the board. And Lou Tepper, well, I don't think anyone had many hopes for him. So here we are, and in my lifetime, 35 years now and probably 30 years of being a, a conscious Illini football fan and probably 22 or 23 years of being really into it and, and watching pretty much every game and going to most every game, this feels different. And it is the best feeling I've ever had after a 5-7 and seven season. And I can go back and list the last couple of 5-7 and seven seasons. You have, let's see here, 5-7 and seven with Bill Cubitt. And after that, I don't think any of us felt good when Paul Kowalczyk, the interim AD, came out and said, yeah, it's not ideal, but we extended him, what was it, a one or two year deal. And we all thought we are dead. Oh, my God. I just remember going into that Thanksgiving thinking we're so screwed. Josh Whitman decided to make a big splash with Lovey about five months later, but the rest, as they say, is history. We don't need to go back into that. Five and seven, of course, in 2008. And I don't know if I've ever been more disappointed in an Illini football season than I was in 2008, a team that had no business being 5-7. and seven. That included a loss to Western Michigan at Ford Field. And that team, based on talent, probably should have went 8-4. and four. Or 7-5 and five would have been an okay follow-up to the Rose Bowl. But you lost so much momentum when you won 5-7 uh, and seven in 2008, including a loss, don't forget, at home to Tim Brewster and a lowly Minnesota team. Uh, <laughs> I felt bad for Bruce Weber that day because that was the Saturday afternoon where they were going to have the world's largest basketball scrimmage and everyone just left the stadium because everyone was pissed off. I certainly was. I can go back to another five and seven, or maybe this was five and six. Can't remember. I think five and seven, actually. It was Ron Turner's 2002 season when after the Sugar Bowl, you could not follow it up with a winning season. Some issues with quarterbacking, starting Dustin Ward, which is one of the biggest mistakes Ron Turner ever made. John Butcher, I thought was fine. I know he gets a bad rap, but you probably would have won one more game had you just started Butcher from the very get-go. Uh, but that team had other issues. Bad defense. Uh, I think that offensively, they were a little too hot to trot. If you recall, Brandon Lloyd had a rap video that he put out before that season, and they promptly missed a bowl game after going to the Sugar Bowl. So 5-7 and seven doesn't normally feel good. Oh, you can go back to 2000, 5-6, when they lost to Michigan at home, the fumble game. So yeah, these 5-1 seasons don't tend to feel very good around here. This is different, though. This is a 5-7 and seven season that is bookended by two Big Ten wins, Nebraska with a thrilling opening uh, Week 0 win against them, and then what you did against Northwestern. And not only did you beat Northwestern, but you beat them as soundly as really any Illinois team has. You'd have to go way back to find the last time that Illinois shellacked Northwestern to this degree. The game was over before the first quarter was over. And as I was watching it with my brother-in-law up in Ypsilanti, so just outside of Ann Arbor, he was flying high after Michigan got the big one against Ohio State. And I, I was joking with him and saying, hey, well, you know, 
you thought that was exciting. Just wait for this Illinois Northwestern game. Even he was genuinely impressed with how Illinois looked. They passed the eye test this year uh, for the most part. They gave us reasons to think that in the Big Ten West, we can consistently win six, seven, and maybe eight games. You damn near got there this year without really any quarterback play to speak of and a few other issues offensively, which we'll address those in a bit. It is worth bringing up. By no means was this a perfect 5-7 and seven season. I think the record would indicate that. But it was what you did to get to those five wins and the consistency that you showed, especially against Big Ten teams, that has me truly a bulima. Yes, it's an awful pun. I get it. I had to do it. I had to do another Monkeys song title pun. It was just in our DNA here at the 200 level. Now, before we get too far into this, and we will, of course, talk a little Illini basketball later after what I thought was potentially a season-saving win, and that is, you know me, I'm prone to hyperbole sometimes, but that was a must-win last night against Notre Dame, and I think maybe we all feel a little bit different, at least relieved, after what we saw Monday night at State Farm Center. Uh, We'll get to that in a bit, but before we get too far into this, got to remind you the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe. Online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so whether you're getting a business lunch or you're ordering a late-night calzone, you can stay at home. They will bring it right to your doorstep, piping hot, custom zones with any topping you want, or one of their favorites like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone, Again, that's dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, online at fourthandkirby.com. It is Christmas time. You got to get some gifts, and you know there's supply chain issues, but not with Fourth and Kirby. They are stocked and fully loaded just in time for the holiday season. So go to fourthandkirby.com. Some new swag, including, I think, their first hoodie. They've done crew neck sweatshirts before. This is a gray hoodie with uh, the assembly hall now the State Farm Center, in blue and I-L-L-I-N-I. This is a typeface I think they took from a 1963 homecoming program or, or something like that. These guys find the old images that the University of Illinois actually used and put these on their really high-quality apparel. I got a crewneck sweatshirt myself. I got many T-shirts. Can't speak highly enough of the guys at fourthandkirby.com. So get the Illini fan in your life some vintage-inspired Illini apparel at fourthandkirby.com. Also got to thank State Farm Agent Brian Hansen. Online at brianismyguy.com. Life, auto, home, business renters, you name it. Brian is our guy. He could be your guy as well. You know, these guys took care of us with homeowners and auto. We got the great State Farm prices, of course, but it was really the customer service and how seamless the whole process was that would make me recommend it to anybody. So that is Brian Hansen, brianismyguy.com, your State Farm agent. And finally, Rector Construction, online at R-E-C-T-O-R-Construction.com. These guys are experts with any of your home exterior needs. Great customer service, which, you know, that's helpful when you get some contractors involved in home projects expert craftsmen, and they will get the job done on time and on budget. Again, you know, I said this about Brian Hansen and really for any of the sponsors, but these guys, their reputation precedes themselves. They're great citizens of Champaign-Urbana and uh, really can't recommend them enough across the board. That's rectorconstruction.com. Alani Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners with the 200 level as I take a swig of my water. Sorry, everybody. I know it's not exactly compelling podcasting, Getting back and talking to students after 10 days, not seeing them has done a number on this voice. Okay, the first half of this podcast is going to be about Illinois football and the 5-7 and seven season that was, and what a way to end it. First off, let's start with the Northwestern rivalry, if we can call it that. I know it doesn't have the pop of Michigan and Ohio State, 
But when that game started on Saturday afternoon, I badly wanted to beat them. I wanted to beat them soundly. And when we went up 7 nothing, and then got another stop, and then we went up 14 nothing, I was thinking, oh, for the love of God, just win this game 35 to nothing. Well, essentially, that was the halftime score. <laughs> I know Northwestern, they got their touchdown in the first half. They got a bogus touchdown late, but let them have it. 47 to 14 is a rout. And while Northwestern was bad this year, by any objective measure, don't forget how bad they were two years ago when they came into Memorial Stadium and they ran up and down the field. And I know that there were injuries that day, but it was just infuriating. In fact, one of the more frustrating losses in recent Illinois football history, I think. You had a chance to go seven and five, and you know, we wanted to feel even better about that Lovey Smith fourth season. And that loss, coupled with the Red Box Bowl, didn't make any of us feel very good. I think it made us worry that it was all a mirage. That was the suspicion. There was nothing uh, about Saturday's performance that would indicate it was a mirage. That was just a straight-up ass-kicking. And you look like a really good Big Ten team, soundly beating a very bad Big Ten team. Bad teams don't beat very bad teams 47-14. to So I think you can take solace in the margin and the style points of what you saw Saturday. That was a team that was better in week 12, or in this case, week 13 or 14, based on the two bye weeks, than they were earlier in the season. And that includes the Nebraska game, where you fortunately played, well, a 3-9 and Nebraska team that was much better than their record. You played them early, and I would not have wanted to play them again. That was a team that, despite all their bad luck, wasn't really that bad. But you win the season five and seven. I know you'll miss a bowl game, and I had some aspirations for, oh, come on, let's get the APR involved here. But nope, you got enough six one teams that would not have even come into play. But overall, as we sit here, and uh, what am I now, four or five days removed from this, reflecting on Brett Bielema's first season, let's take a look at this first season compared to other first seasons in recent Illinois football history. Levy Smith went three and nine and looked pretty bad doing it. There was the late season win against what was, I think, a two-win Michigan State team. Very random, right? But it was still a quality win when you consider the talent that was on that Michigan State team. I think they won eight games the next year, and the year before that, they won 11-1 and or something like that, winning the Big Ten title. Go back to Tim Beckman's first year, one of the worst single Illinois football seasons I think any of us have ever seen, where you could not score, and the defense went from pretty good under Vic Coning to really, really bad under Tim Beckman. And the defensive coordinator escapes me at the moment, but... It was a 2-10, and and it honestly felt like it might as well have been 0-12. There was no real highlight of that season after you beat Charleston Southern in the second week of the year, maybe the third week. Go back to Ron Zook. 2-9, I think that was still an 11-game season, where you beat Rutgers in OT at home in the opening game, and then you beat San Jose State, and you led, I think at halftime, against a ranked Cal team out in Berkeley, and then they ran you out of the stadium in the second half, and after that, you didn't really compete for the rest of the year. And we can go back to Ron Turner's first year, 0-11. So recent Illinois football history, and actually even going back a couple decades, would show you that there is always a tough transition for these coaches when they first arrive on campus. We had those moments this year where it felt like, yep, this is going to be a tough transition. Damn it, we all hoped... You know, super seniors and all the veterans coming back would help lead you to a bowl game. Well, you didn't quite reach that, but you did get five wins, and some of them were very, very high quality wins that make you think, wow, this blueprint will work in the Big Ten. At Penn State, of course, was a eureka moment where the defense 
which had shown some promise other than the Wisconsin game. Okay, so go post-Virginia up through the Wisconsin game. In the middle there, you had Maryland at home. You had at Purdue. Trying to think, uh, I believe there was one other game there, Charlotte, where the defense was starting to really acclimate themselves. But after Wisconsin, we thought, well, they're back at square one. This is still a Lovey Smith defense. You, you can't polish a turd, is what I was thinking at least. And then you go on the road and you win in nine overtimes at Penn State. If there is a signature moment that I can't say saved the season, but you could argue maybe it did, it was winning at Penn State in that fashion. And this isn't even including the fact that you lost the next week at home to Rutgers. And then the week after that, you go on the road to a ranked Minnesota team, which, by the way, just beat Wisconsin at home, and you beat them. So we're talking two very high-quality wins. Yes, I know Penn State finished, what, 7-5, and 8-4? and four. Minnesota finished 8-4. and four. These are not top-10 caliber teams when all is said and done. But they are road wins in the Big Ten. You are not getting those very often under Lovey Smith, or even for that matter, back in the Ron Zook days, the last few years that he was here. It was not happening very much. To do that, and really to do it without any passing game to speak of and, and plenty of woes on offense, tells me that, wow, if we just get a serviceable offense, we'll be okay. Now, the defense may not play that well every game next year, and once Ryan Walters leaves, which I think is inevitable within a few years, you're going to have to find someone to pick up the slack because he has done a fantastic job and is worthy of that raise. But I do think that the system that Bielema is establishing here, which is essentially play good defense, keep everything in front of you, and run the ball, that is something you can sustain. And sometimes you'll have a really good quarterback to run an offense and they'll lead you to maybe a nine win season, maybe a 10 win season, right? When you're at your absolute best. Some years you won't quite figure out the quarterback position or the defense might stumble a bit and you might end up back at five and seven. But with this style of play, it's difficult to imagine when things get established going four and eight or three and nine. It's difficult to imagine this in the big 10 West, not working to some degree of efficiency. And that was really the word I said after the Nebraska game, and I feel so happy that I can say that after the 12th game of the season, that this team, when they were at their best, they were efficient, they won the time of possession, they ran the ball, and they played good defense. There you go. They just didn't make mistakes. When they, when they won these games, they just didn't make mistakes. When did they lose the games? Iowa. They made mistakes. That was a closer game than the score would indicate, but you can't give up a kickoff return, and you cannot throw a pick six. You take those away, you might have won the damn game. Or you go back to Rutgers, and that was really maybe not so turnovers so much. I can't remember if Illinois even turned the ball over that game, but the offense was really stagnant. Let's go to that. Yellow flag from year one under Brett Bielema. Tony Peterson ended the year fantastically against Northwestern. He had his moments, especially in the first quarter against Minnesota and Iowa, which is weird because it had really been the first quarter that gave you problems all year. The run game could be pretty consistent. It was a 1,000-yard season for Chase Brown, and he'll be back next year along with Josh McRae, along with a high school running back, uh, Jordan Anderson, who was absolutely stellar in the postseason, and he's probably going to be an immediate impact player. So you got these pieces, and you also consider the fact that the cupboard was bare at quarterback. Okay, fine. Uh, the offensive line, losing Kendrick Green might have been a bigger deal than we thought. Though once they switched around Julian Pearl and Palchewski, they seemed to find a, a combination that worked, and that is an offensive coordinator and offensive line coach and Bart Miller figuring things out. That, that gives me some encouragement. But there is no doubt that when the offense had to go off script, 
things could get messy in a hurry. And whether it was a lack of faith in Brandon Peters or Art Sitkowski, or whether it was just plain bad play calling, whatever it was, it was not good enough. The yellow flag from year one under Bielema is the offense. It is Tony Peterson. And I won't be going into year two thinking, oh yeah, I, I, I have full faith that the offense is going to help carry you to some wins. It would be nice if they could do that next year. Because essentially every win was dictated by the defense making plays. Even go back to the opening week against Nebraska where, yes, you did score, I think, 28 unanswered points to take that lead. But it was the defense and a pick six late in that first half that really kind of turned the tide of that game. It was the safety, which I know Nebraska, they did stupid things all year. But uh, the defense had a lot to do with that win, despite the point total that you had on the board at the end of it. So that's what I'll be watching for next year. But don't you feel good about the defense? A good chunk of which is coming back. Your first team all Big Ten safety in Kirby Joseph, which is our first indication that this staff knows how to find uh, diamonds in the rough or needle in a haystack, whatever cliche you want to throw on here. Kirby Joseph was a wide receiver last year. He was not even in the two deep, I don't think, when the season started, or at the very least, we weren't talking about him. He's a first-team All-Big Ten safety, and it's been a long time since Illinois had that. I was actually kind of surprised that Bobby Jackson, Muhammad Abdullah, Kevin Mitchell, and Justin Harrison were not first-team. I mean, any one of them. I'm not saying all four of them. But kudos to him, and he deserved every bit of it. Leading the nation in with five interceptions, Hard-hitting safety, smart safety, and you could argue Sidney Brown. My God, did he come on too? You had a really good pair of safeties. This takes me back to some of my favorite Illinois teams. One consistent thread was really good safety play. I could even go back to some early Bears uh, teams in the 2000s, Mike Brown, Tony Parrish. Love that safety duo. You know, if your defense's job is to keep everything in front of you, uh, having good safeties tends to do that. And occasionally they came up with a big play as well. That all goes back to Ryan Walters and, of course, Brett Bielema for identifying how to put these guys in positions to succeed, maximizing what you had. You know, not to continually bring this back to Lovey Smith, but inevitably you look at a coach's performance and especially after year one, you compare it to the previous guy. Well, I don't think we could say with much confidence that Lovey maximized the talent that he had. He did have some talent. Otherwise, Brett Bielema and this staff is not going five and seven this year if it's a bunch of scrubs. They aren't winning at Penn State or at Minnesota or beating Northwestern 47-14 to or winning Week 0 against Nebraska like they did if there wasn't some talent on the roster. That is a credit to Lovey Smith and that staff. They did get some guys, but they weren't going to maximize it. And I don't know how many coaching staffs do. It is reassuring to think that you have a veteran coach at the helm here who was getting his second crack at a Big Ten coaching gig, who was getting paid handsomely, though not as handsomely as some of the other guys, and you would think that the you know job security here is pretty high for him and that I think he appreciates it. I'm not worried about Brett Bielema going on the coaching carousel anytime soon. If he did, that would probably mean he's been wildly successful at Illinois. But there was something reassuring about the guy at the helm of this football program knowing what he's doing and having done it before and maybe having learned a few things during the sabbatical when he was not at Arkansas, when he went to the pros. Now he knows what doesn't work and what does work. And I don't think he's going to take shortcuts, but I do think he's going to find a way to maybe expedite this turnaround so you don't need to go through an elongated, excruciating rebuild, which we are so used to as Illini fans. I don't know if that's on the table anymore. I certainly thought it was after the Wisconsin game. I think we all did. Oh, God, here we go again. We're going to have to wait two, three, four seasons to see any results. Don't know if that's the case. The transfer portal's already started. 
You got that Ratner quarterback from Oklahoma. He's available. Not saying you're going to get him. I know that's the first name that comes to mind. But you really are a transfer QB and some transfer offensive linemen away from, I think, stemming the tide and keeping this team at a pretty decent level going into next year. Tough schedule, I suppose, but you know, even to look at that as a futile effort. Like, I can't, I'm not going to do Dare to Dream and look at the schedule in uh, late November, early December of 2021. The, the schedule will be what it will be. You do play at Michigan next year. So I think we're going to plan on a trip up there. Michigan State comes to town. Um, so yeah, the, the Big Ten East teams are probably a little bit tougher than what you had this year in Rutgers, Maryland, and Penn State. But nonetheless, the bulk of your schedule is the Big Ten West. You didn't do so bad against them outside of Wisconsin. Think about it. You beat Nebraska. You beat Northwestern. You beat Minnesota. So three Big Ten West wins. The fourth Big Ten win, of course, coming against Penn State. You lost to Iowa. It was closer than the score would have indicated. Um, Frustrating that you made those mistakes that you did. You got smoked by Wisconsin. Let's not do that every year. I'm I'm really tired of it. (laughs) I I still can't believe we beat them in 2019, but for the most part, they just kind of kick our butt. And uh, I feel like I might be forgetting a Big Ten West team. At Purdue, I know David Bell wasn't playing, but you competed. And I think you will compete with the likes of Purdue year in, year out. Good season for Brom, by the way. A really good bounce-back season for them. So you're where you want to be. You are in the division that you want to be in with the coach that knows how to win in that division. There are some really cool stats here from the uh, at Alani Stats, a Twitter, Twitter account that I would really recommend you guys follow. Uh, let's see here. From, I want to make sure I get this right, and I apologize here as I got to reload this thing. A lot of cool things that came out on Saturday, not just about the Northwestern game, but about the season-to-season improvement. Let's see if I can find some of these here. Okay, Brett Bielema, first off, is now 3-1 and all-time as a head coach against Northwestern. This really surprised me. He's the first Illinois head coach to win his first Illini game against Northwestern since John Makovic in 1988. I don't know what Lou Tepper was doing in 1993. Was it a tie, maybe? Or maybe they tied Wisconsin. Fortunately, those days are a little bit fuzzy for me. But John Makovic, the last coach to beat Northwestern in his first year. Okay, Illinois allowed 21.9 points per game in the regular season. So that factors in the Virginia game where you gave up a boatload of points. That is a 13-point-per-game improvement from last season. So you went from giving up 35 points per game, 34.9, but I'm rounding up, to 21.9. 13-point improvement on defense is insane. Illinois allowed 18.9 points per game during Big Ten play. So they were better in Big Ten play than they were in the non-conference. 16-point-per-game improvement from last season. That's incredible. Illinois' total defense improved by 101 yards per game. 101 yards per game from 467 to 366. See, there's some other ones here. The Illini's 33-point margin of victory is the biggest by the Illini since, against Northwestern, since a 49-point win in Evanston on November 25th, 1989. The Makovic era. You've got to go back that far. And there's been some good wins against Northwestern. I mean, Rose Bowl year, if I recall. You beat them pretty soundly at home. Uh, Trying to think. 2010 at Wrigley Field. Smoked them, but not like this. So that is very impressive. Top five scoring defenses in Big Ten play. This blows my mind. Wisconsin leads the pack at 135. Go figure. Jim Leonard probably should be their head coach. Get rid of Paul Christ and and keep Jim Leonard, Wisconsin. Penn State 151. Iowa 169. And there's Illinois football ahead of Michigan. 170 points given up in Big Ten play. 
That's phenomenal. Uh, I mean, what more can you say? I mean, Ryan Walters deserves every bit of that raise, but this is also speaking to the larger foundations being built. I'm a Belima. Back to that lame pun that is the title. But, you know, as I go into this offseason, I don't think there's been this level of contentment almost, this, this feeling that maybe I don't have to worry quite as much about Illinois football because that was always it. You know, even after a good season, there was a worry that you were going to fall way back down. It seems like we got a steady ship going right now and that we have a coach who knows how to keep things somewhat on the level and, and keep things consistent. And man, is that a far cry from what we're used to. I will take consistent competence. I harped on that at the beginning of the year, kind of got sidetracked when they started losing game after game, but they rebounded. One more thing, too, that really stands out to me about this team, and if you want to talk about adversity, you could talk about injuries like Jake Hansen. Somehow this defense did this without their starting middle linebacker from last year. The guy that has, I think, the most fumble recoveries or uh, fumbles uh, caused in Illinois football history, whatever the stat is, he was a pretty good linebacker. You overcame that. Uh, You overcame the loss of Nate Hobbs, who's having a very, very good rookie season in the NFL, so you lost some talent. You know, Epstein was not a factor at running back, so then you find Josh McCray. You're finding this next man up mentality, which sometimes is kind of an empty cliche. I mean, talent matters. You can't just slot anybody in there and be successful. But this team tended to do that. And as far as adversity is concerned, there were three separate times this year that this team really could have won a different direction. Now, and you could argue for, you could almost argue for, UTSA in the second game of the year was just air out of the balloon. And I remember walking out of that stadium, not shocked, but just thinking, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) Like all the good vibes from the Nebraska game, essentially null and void. And we feel like we're back at square one. So you could argue that that might be the fourth one, but Virginia, Wisconsin, Rutgers, all disappointing losses in different ways. Two of them blowouts at Virginia and Wisconsin at home. And one of them, just an inexplicable loss to Rutgers at home. That still has me scratching my head. Now, is it frustrating that if you would have just gotten one more stinking win, Rutgers, that you would be bowling right now? It is. But maybe uh, if I'm trying to be, you know, sunny side up about this, it took that loss to get the team to do what they did against Minnesota. In other words, they seem to feed off the adversity far better than I would have imagined in year one of Brett Bielema. Do you remember all the uh, controversy, I guess we could say, after the Wisconsin blowout when he talked about the lack of depth at the offensive line position and how after these guys are gone, they got a lot of spots to fill and national media was running with it? I even talked to a former Illinois football player who said before that Penn State game, you know, I worry about them maybe checking out about this. And... I was hoping that wouldn't be the case, but I remember when that Penn State game started, I was doing yard work and listening to it because I thought it was going to be an absolute butt whooping. Well, it wasn't. They responded. Whatever buttons he had to push before that Penn State game, in the two weeks they had between Wisconsin and Penn State, he pushed them and got it done. And I'm thinking, okay, well, um, let's check that one for a pretty good head coach that has the pulse of his team that can take the temperature of the locker room. Or factor in after Rutgers, you go up to Minnesota and you dominate. I mean, that game, talk about the score not necessarily reflecting the game. It was a one-score win for Illinois, but they completely dominated in those 60 minutes. I, I had, at the end of the first quarter, I thought Illinois is winning this game. And that was just listening to it. It was this weird, calm confidence that kind of swept over me. And I imagine for a lot of guys, uh, of you guys out there that are listening to this, you had that same feeling if you were watching it thinking, whoa, there's this competence on the field that tells me 
we're actually going to get this win today. We're the better team today. Maybe if you played Minnesota 10 times up there, you would have won three, right? It's not easy to win on the road in the Big Ten. Maybe there's a little bit of luck involved, but not when you win like that. Not when you win like you did at Penn State. Not when you beat Northwestern 47-14. to You could argue some luck in the Nebraska game, but hey, listen, Nebraska shot themselves in the foot against everybody. I'm not going to hold that against Brett Bielema and this Illini team. For the most part, you created your own luck, and you kept every game within reach. Yes, it was frustrating that you didn't go for it on fourth down against Maryland, and they marched right down and they scored. You should have won that game. There's no doubt you should have won that game. Very disappointing. Purdue, you should have won that game. Very disappointing. But for a first year, if I would have anticipated no bumps along the way, that would have been naive. There were bumps. Unfortunately, it was in the guise of a couple close losses that cost you a bowl game. But all that said, you do see something that sets you up for the future, which makes you think, okay, I think that we can do this. I think we can win six, seven games a year, eight on a good year. I think we can be consistent players in the middle of the pack of the Big Ten West. That's the expectation. I'm not talking Big Ten championships. Maybe Brett Bielema can get you there. Wouldn't shock me if he did. But I'm tempering my expectations and expecting that Brett Bielema, after what I saw this first year, can at least reach those very modest expectations. We've harped on it for years, whether it be on 93.5, and I'm sure that the guys over 1,400 have as well. I'm sure that somewhere in a Bob Osmussen or Lauren Tate column, something to this effect has been said. If you win seven games a year at Illinois, you get a statue made of you. I think Brett Bielema can do that. Hey, he's still a relatively young guy. Don't forget that. He's not Lincoln Riley, but it's not like he's going anywhere anytime soon. I would not worry about Brett Bielema jumping ship. And again, if he did, that means that you probably had some success. And hey, maybe Ryan Walters will be ready by then. Wouldn't that be cool? You know, he can be our Jim Leonard, the coach in waiting. But no, this does seem like a potential long haul situation. Um, That's another reason that there's this sort of calm confidence I have in this football program, that you have a guy that would not jump for another opportunity because it does seem like Brett Bielema is that perfect mix of, I'm not going to say damaged goods, but the upper echelon programs probably would not touch Brett Bielema yet, right? He'd have to do a lot here for these uh, bigger programs to reconsider that after all the whispers down at Arkansas, which still are very vague to me, uh, and the way that he left Wisconsin somewhat acrimoniously. I think he is safely here, and I think that Josh Whitman's also the kind of AD that when it comes to, uh, when push comes to shove, he'll ante up, or he'll get the donors to ante up if that's what you got to do. But those would be great problems to have, and the fact that I'm even contemplating that after one year tells me that all in all, it was a success. So I'm happy. I don't know about you guys, but overall, I'm happy. I I didn't wake up the day after the Illinois Northwestern game and think, God. Why couldn't we just get that 6-1 and go to a bowl game? I woke up thinking, that was fun, and I'm ready for next year. And I'm ready to follow the transfer portal and see how this coaching staff goes out there and gets the guys they need to. One other thing I have very little doubt in, they will work their butts off to get the talent in here that they need. And whether that be the four-year kids out of high school where they start building an offensive line unit. I know that's what Bart Miller wants to do. They just got a six foot nine guy from, uh, he's a Danish kid, Denmark, excuse me. So now we're going international. I guess we're the Gonzaga of college football, or maybe that's what we'll become. I wouldn't mind that. Six foot nine. I figure you can teach him a thing or two about playing offensive line. Uh, You mix that with some transfer portal things to 
put a Band-Aid on certain positions, especially quarterback. If you can somehow get just a decent quarterback play next year, you got the running backs, you got some skilled players. Isaiah Williams really came on late. I was really happy to see that. And I feel like you can figure something out to score, drum roll please, 24 points a game on offense. <sighs> Could you believe it? 24 points a game? Well, if they did that, they're going 7-5 and five next year. 20 points a game, they're probably going to find their way to 6-6. Six and six. So <laughs> you don't have as far to go as I, I thought we might if you would have asked me the same question two months ago. And that is a sign of a team that got better. That's a sign of a coaching staff that started to figure out how to put guys in positions to succeed. And now that they get a whole offseason and this program becomes more entrenched in the culture that Beal was trying to build, I, I am not going to sit here and say sky's the limit, but I am going to say that the floor has been raised and hopefully we can avoid those three and nine, four and eight seasons that just suck the air out of it and maybe sneak into a bowl game in year two. Upper trajectory, right? I, I do think that we'll see improvement each year. And uh, let's get to it. It's going to be a while. It's going to be nine months until the next game. Wish it was not the case. Wyoming will be another week zero game at Memorial Stadium. I anticipate being there for that one. And it'll be nice to feel a bit of a buzz in the air. I know there weren't many people there for senior day. There never is when it's Northwestern and it's after Thanksgiving. Excuse the uh, voice there. But um, I, I, I think that by the time we get to week zero next year, that momentum will start building up and the fans will be ready to go. I certainly will be, and I'm guessing that you will be as well. Okay, before I get to basketball, whew, God. not even yelling at the kids, nothing like that. They've been great today, but God dang, it does a number on your voice. Real quick before we get out of here, the basketball game last night. You know, with Notre Dame coming into town, I was worried first with the injury report, but even before that, I was worried after UT RGV that this thing was fundamentally broken. I did not watch the UTRGV game. I listened to it, or I'm sorry, I followed along on my score app and I was texting with Trevor and Isaac. Isaac was at the game and I think Trevor was watching it. Well, judging by their reactions in the Twitter sphere, it was even worse than what the score app would have indicated. And it was a performance that had a lot of us very, very worried. Worried to the point of, oh God, are we talking like bubble team? What, what are we doing here? And it's not like that was a, a crazy thought. You fell from essentially a top five team in Ken Palm to 25 after one week. The Cincinnati loss and the UTRGV near miss, shall we say, really hit you in the analytics. And then the smart basketball people out there on the AP uh, poll removed you from the rankings for the first time since 2019. Deservedly so. You didn't deserve to be there after the way that you had played. So as I settle in for the game against Notre Dame, the first half, I'm watching it, and all of a sudden we're a couple media timeouts in, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm kind of having fun watching this. How about that? I'm hearing from you know friends that are at the game that the crowd's into it. I'm thinking, okay, great. Maybe we're starting to get a little bit of mojo back here. Trent Frazier and Jacob Grandison make an immediate impact off the bench. Kofi's Kofi. He's spectacular. What can you say? And then, I got to be honest, it was the Alfonso Plummer three at the end of the half. Actually, there were two plays in this game that really stand out. The three at the end of the half really calmed my nerves and made me think, I think we got this. I think this team is playing with a certain amount of energy that they'll take care of this, even if it's not the prettiest second half. 
the other was a third chance three-pointer for Trent Frazier. And this was after he got two offensive rebounds. It was a whirlwind play, an amazing possession where we worked our butts off to get those three points. And that was something that was not happening against UTRGV. That was not happening in Kansas City for those awful two days. And, you know, there it's not often that an Illini team will drive me to not want to tune in, as they did after the Cincinnati game, and as they kind of did after UTRGV. But overall, I enjoyed the heck out of last night. And I'm recording this on Tuesday, by the way. I enjoyed the heck out of that Notre Dame game. And I think that we saw, man, when everything's clicking with this team, the offense is spectacular. Defense is a work in progress, but they are still pretty good, right? And and for me, it was difficult to not go down a worst-case scenario rabbit hole and think, oh, my God, don't tell me as an Illini fan we're going through this again. You know, not meeting expectations or falling well short of them. Imagining a team with an All-American, and that's what Kofi is. He's a first-team All-American. Somehow struggling to stay in the top four of the Big Ten or, or losing even more games that they shouldn't. I, I didn't want to broach that. I wanted this to be a fun season. And then all of a sudden, I'm watching Notre Dame and reminded, right, it can still be a fun season. And then you find out after the game a little bit more context as to what has been going on. So when we hear the flu, there's two kinds of flu, right? There's a cold flu where you get a fever and you feel like garbage for a while and you know nothing that Tylenol and ibuprofen and some Gatorade can't fix probably. But then there's the stomach flu. And if you were to ask me, what is the last thing out of all the sicknesses, you know, the common sicknesses that you want to get? Well, strep throat is up there, and I've had that a few times. It's awful. Stomach flu, though, is something I absolutely dread. And you all know the feeling before you got to, you know, hurl. It's one of the worst feelings in the world. Well, now the stomach flu is passing through this team, and that stuff is contagious. I'm hoping no one else gets it because DeMonte was apparently puking in a garbage can during halftime yesterday. Now, in this age of COVID, I got to give uh, Chris Davies on Twitter some credit, and I know Champagne Showers replied to this. During a COVID pandemic, we are extolling the virtues of DeMonte playing sick. And I know like if a kid at school came up during a test and said, Mr. Carpenter, I just puked my guts out, but I really want to finish this test. I'd say, get out of here, Joey, or whatever the kid's name may be. Leave. I don't want your sickness. All that aside, though, if we want to call that the flu game for DeMonte, who was spectacular, by the way? I know he didn't fill the stat sheet with points, but he does everything that you want from a glue, a glue guy. So he's sick. Hutcherson is out, thrown up. Uh, you have Grandison coming back from the stomach flu, and for those who've ever had it, you know that it takes a bit to get your feet back under you. You have Trent Frazier, who had not picked up a basketball in six days. He's got a leg brace on, he's got a shoulder brace and pad on, and he goes out there, and he's not only sort of like this emotional lift, but he performs well. He's productive out there. So there was this video that Illinois basketball, and they're so good at this. The postgame videos were after a big win, Underwood talks to his team. If you have a chance to go watch it, go watch it. I'm not usually in for the meatball stuff. or uh, Who am I kidding? I When Illinois basketball does it, I am. I'm in for the meatball stuff with Illinois basketball, truly. And this one really resonated. It, there was a lot of authentic appreciation that was coming from Underwood towards his team. Now, he is no stranger to hyperbole. I guess I'm not either. But he says in this video that that's one of the top five or ten wins that he's ever been a part of. And I understand why he might say that. You know, year five at Illinois, this is a win in a season that we all thought pretty highly of coming into it that you needed. You really did need to beat Notre Dame. And even if Trent and Grandison hadn't played, 
yeah, we could have entered that game thinking, yeah, well, do whatever, guys. But by the time they would have tipped the ball off, we would have, as fans, been thinking, for the love of God, you need to get this win. You can't really afford another non-conference loss. But then when you factor in the context of all the injuries and the sickness that's running rampant through this team and whatever the hell is going on with Andre Cribello, that is scary. Any sort of head-related thing, they call it undisclosed. And it's not concussion protocol, apparently, anymore. Something just ain't right. And I hope, for his sake, he's okay. You can't mess with head injuries. Don't rush him back. He'll come back when he comes back. Get him right first. I, I feel really bad for him. And I think it might actually explain a little bit of why he was so erratic on the court for the two or three games that he played. But I can understand why Underwood called that one of the top five or ten wins he's ever been a part of. It was important, I think, in the grand scheme of this season. They are still going to have moments where we are pulling our hair out with frustration. They're going to be, I think, a little too inconsistent for our liking. But at least for one night, we were reminded that when things are going well, it's still going to be fun. So now that we got the, uh, the early frustrations out of the way and we can recalibrate and maybe back off into a top 20 team that's still in the top three of the Big Ten. I mean, we'll watch Ohio State in the Big Ten ACC Challenge as I'm recording this. I don't know how that's going to go against Duke, but um, I still think this is probably a top three of the Big Ten team when all is said and done. Probably not a Big Ten title winner just based on the strength of Purdue. And a team that might get a four seed in the NCAA tournament. Or sorry, yeah, right, four seed, five seed. I mean, I don't know. I'll take it. That's what Bill Self was doing his second and third year, and we were perfectly happy with that. So is this team going to win the national title? Is this team going to raise a banner of some sort? I don't know, and, and maybe they won't. But when you factor in all the recruiting successes that Underwood's having, it does take a little bit of pressure off this year as this sort of you must win big. When you have Jeremy Fears at the game yesterday, 2023 four-star kid, sounds like he's going to pop a commitment soon. You have the Dane Danger, Dane Danger, I think I'm saying that right. He's the Baylor transfer, who's another big you're adding to next year's roster. I mean, that thing is rolling. This recruiting is rolling for the staff right now, and kudos to Underwood. I'm not going to say they're recruiting better than they did with Orlando Antigua and Shin Coleman, but they haven't lost a step either. And they are really capitalizing on the success of the last couple of years. So as I look at this now and why I feel good about Illinois basketball in a different way than Illinois football, the early disappointments of this season don't negate the fact that this program is still on very solid footing and that you are setting yourself up to be good for a long time and maybe occasionally great. And I'll take that. I will take that. I think that I was just shook after that Cincinnati game, and I needed to decompress and kind of figure some things out myself as a fan so I could get back to it and enjoy it and not be uh, not ride the roller coaster to this degree where, oh, man, they aren't going to win the Big Ten title probably. Grr, I can't watch the game. Essentially, that's what I did. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was really incompetent play that we saw. I, I know other people were mad, so I don't think I was alone in that. But, yeah, I had to detach because I was just really – I felt bamboozled. You know, I got so high on this team, and I think this team may still give us reasons to be high on them, right? Uh, maybe not to the elite level that we were hoping for at our most, you know, optimistic predictions or prognostications, but they can still give us something. And last night against Notre Dame, while not perfect and defensively still a little uh, leaves you wanting, 
Overall, that was a good performance. And given the circumstances, a gutsy one. And I got to give the team credit for that. They did respond about as well as you could have asked for after that very, very ugly week. So good for them. And uh, you get a healthy Curbelo back in the mix. You will be better in February and March than you are right now. And I guess, as they say, that's all that matters. All right, that's it for tonight's episode of the 200 Level, or this morning, depending when you listen to it, or this afternoon. Wanted to make this one a little bit evergreen and not too specific to a game. I needed to address Illinois football because we were out of town when they beat Northwestern. You know, still kind of riding the high from that. I know it's not a win that's going to go down as an all-time Illini victory, but I would love to think that that is something that can kind of catapult this staff into the offseason and even the players themselves, make them feel good and realize that, yes, you know, this is paying dividends here and that the new coaching staff and, and the hard work that they put in along with the players, it does lead to results. I think going into an offseason like this, I can't recall the last time this program went into an offseason actually feeling good about itself. So, yeah, and I'm sorry, after Levy's fourth year going on into the fifth year, I, I think we all knew, and maybe some of the players did too, eh, we're okay, but I, I think that these guys on this team, I think there is a buy-in. I really do, because otherwise, they would not have come back the way they did after the Virginia, Wisconsin, and Rutgers losses, and uh, that, that as a fan is maybe the most encouraging thing of all, that the best is yet to come, and that even the guys that are already on this roster, they really like this Bielema guy. And they can't say enough good things about him. Tony Adams, he was benched. And he's extolling the virtues of his coaching staff and saying what an amazing job. And they always believed in me. They gave me that chance. This is a guy that could have went the opposite way and could have checked out. And by the end of the season, he's raving about these guys. Um, That is anecdotal, of course, but it does seem as if the buy-in amongst this roster is at a very high level. And beating Northwestern like that and getting a trophy win, getting that damn hat back into the football offices for the first time since 2014. And I was there at Ryan Field for that game. That was actually a lot of fun. The Riley O'Toole, Mikey Dudek game with a Mason Monheim pick six. Little did we know that would lead to another year of Tim Beckman, except it wouldn't because he would be fired the week before week one. Man, how far we've come. Don't you feel better about Illinois football? I do. I'm excited for not just next year, but I think that we might have finally stabilized this thing. And it will take some hard work. It will have some bumps along the way. It's not going to be an overnight thing. But at the very least, I can tune in on Saturdays and actually, for the most part, look forward to it. And when it comes to Illinois football, talk about modest expectations, but that might be all I need. Okay, that's all I got for this episode of the 200 Level, brought to you by DPDO online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices. They deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana, so order online a custom zone or a favorite like the Maui Wowie or the Buffer Zone. That was our go-to 15 years ago when DPDO opened, which is absolutely insane. But there's a reason they've been around for 15 years. These guys are... Just terrific. It is, I think, the best bang for your buck in Champaign-Urbana. Order online at dpdo.com. Fourth and Kirby, just in time for the holiday season. Go online to Fourth and Kirby for the Illini fan in your life. They have a bunch of Illini apparel, hoodies, crewneck sweatshirts, t-shirts, all vintage-inspired at fourthandkirby.com. Rector Construction, online at rectorconstruction.com for all your home exterior needs. These guys are expert craftsmen. Great customer service. You might even talk to Isaac Ambrose when you call in. It's true, you might. That's rectorconstruction.com. And State Farm Agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. For life, auto, home, business, renters, you name it, brianismyguy.com. 
Com. Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Thank you, listeners. We are on Twitch, and we'll be back on Friday night for a second half reaction pod. It might just be me flying solo again. That is twitch.tv forward slash the 200 level. Hey, I haven't done this in a while, but a little band plug. This is Decadence out of your head from our latest album, Fever Dreams. You can get that anywhere music is streaming. In the meantime, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you on Friday night. It is the 200 level.